You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. Welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, here in a new month, November 1st. We're in the last quintile of 2017. Gosh, where has this year gone? We all waited with anticipation for 2017, and amazingly, 10 months of it is already gone. Three you know, branches of government controlled by Republicans and nothing done. But sadly, because of this tragedy, the question is, have we reached a watershed moment where possibly maybe our voices could reach a critical mass on this immigration issue, on this national security, the Islam issue, the terrorism issue, that maybe we could get at least something done? Of course, if the courts will allow us or if we actually fight back against the courts. So there's tons to talk about. Those of you who are with us at the conservative conscience from day one, you know my spiel after every one of these domestic terror attacks, but this one really hits all of those notes, and we're going to go over them and some new information as well. Um, So this will be new to everyone. Obviously, I'm thankful, if nothing else, that this gets me out of talking about the stupid Republican tax plan and their focus on taxes. Hopefully, that will be pushed off till next week. Um, But there's a lot of other stuff going on. Obamacare, people are starting to get their notes in the mail. $2,2100 a month, not a year, a month premiums. If you guys want to send me, we're going to try a conservative review to put together some sort of montage. If you want to send me your, you know, blotted out uh, letters from Blue Cross or wherever else, um, blotting out your personal info but you know just the sticker shock and what you're having to deal with i'm going to try to send these to some of the congressmen and some of the people in the administration and and say wait a minute this issue isn't over this issue is not over it's just beginning and we're not going to move on from health care and go to phony tax reform when you know at best people get a few hundred dollars back where here they have to pay tens of thousands of dollars and you know who knows what it's gonna be in five years it'll probably cost a hundred thousand dollars to get a get a plan But obviously today we're going to talk about America's sovereignty and security. We're going to start off with the question that we start off with every time. I'm going to continue to push. How many people have to die on the pagan altar of political correctness before it becomes fashionable for our political class to open their eyes, open their hearts, to the common sense of what any other generation would do and shut down this masochist immigration policy of not just bringing in Muslim immigrants, but bringing in record numbers from the most volatile hotbeds in the Middle East and Central Asia and North Africa at a time when jihad is so out of control that even a lot of Muslim governments are clamping down on it more than we are. And then the second half of that is once we finally get to stopping the new flow, what are we going to do with the ones already here? You know, balancing both what's proper in the Constitution with using common sense to actually deal with the problems. You know, 
this is kind of sick gallows humor, but I can't think of anything that best emblematizes what we're dealing with today. I saw on Twitter someone uh, pulled up a clip from Chuck Schumer in 2006. Chuck Schumer, as you know by now, he was the author of the diversity visa lottery bill in 1990. He said, quote, I saw benefits of diversity visa program while riding my bike around New York City. Look, I'm not trying to be funny here, but oh my gosh. Wow. Indeed, indeed. Pretty sick. Well, Chuck, what about the people that were riding their bikes now mowed down by your diversity visa lottery? Now, obviously, you know, you have a lot of Johnny come lately here. Some of us have been working for years. I know, um, you know, Michelle Malkin, my colleague here, CRTV, uh, she has been working for almost 20 years to get rid of it. Almost since its founding, it was passed into law in 1990. It was first implemented in the mid-90s. And I, I want to talk about the diversity visa lottery, but I want to zoom out so we don't get exclusively focused on that. And only talk about that because the diversity visa lottery is just the poster child for what's wrong with our entire immigration system, our entire mentality towards the world, towards bringing in Islam. And the idea is that when you import the Middle East, you know what? Something funny happens. You get the Middle East. When you bring the Middle East to your shores, well, you kind of bring the Middle East to your shores. And that's what happens. You know, you bring in a, a few people, a few Muslims here and there, especially back maybe in the first trickle in the 70s in Dearborn, Michigan. You don't have the Internet. They're kind of detached from their home base. You know, you hope to assimilate. But when you bring in large numbers, you get the Middle East. And the only other person I'm going to link to in show notes, by the way, Andy McCarthy's beautiful article at National Review, and he's been on on TV today talking about this. He's the only one really on message that I see completely on message here. And, you know, he makes it very clear that this is an ideological problem. It's a Sharia adherence problem. It's not ISIS. It's not a terror group. You know how I'm obsessed with that. It drives me nuts when even people on our right make it about ISIS, ISIS. ISIS was around for a few years. They're dying. They're not. I mean, you'll have the next flavor. It has nothing to do. You, 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 could, you could shut down every terrorist group overseas, whatever. But if you bring in Sharia adherent Muslims, this is what they will do. And if you bring them in in large numbers and they cluster and it cultivates a climate in our cities, we brought the Middle East to our shores. This is not a foreign policy issue. It's not a military engagement issue. It's an immigration and homeland security problem. And a self-immolating problem. The most important thing to understand is this. The front line in the war against jihad is not in Raqqa. It's not in Tikrit. It's not in Kabul. It's not in Mogadishu. It sure as heck is not in Niger or Mali. It's in Patterson, New Jersey. It's in Brooklyn, New York. It's in Minneapolis. It's in parts of Columbus, Ohio. Where you have communities that have clustered, where they have neighborhoods and mosques that at best don't like America and at worst downright preach insurrection. 
that's the source of the problem. So maybe some of the individual teens that become go in their 20s that either some of them are born here already, some of them came here when they're young, some of them like this individual came when they're about 20. They they might join a terror group, they might do freelance jihad. But it doesn't matter. The diversity visa lottery is just a specific insanity because so we're letting in, you know, just open door, just directly letting in you know, massive amounts from every Middle Eastern country in all forms. And by the way, we're going to link to in show notes. We have an article out today. I'm the only one who has done this. I have a chart of a break breaking down all of the 50 or so predominantly Muslim countries, how many green cards we've issued since 9-11. Now I have from 2001 to 2015, we don't have the most recent data. So just those 15 years, 1.8 million 59,000 from Uzbekistan, the origin of this uh, suspect, suspected terrorist. 59,000. 61,000 from Turkey. 179,000 from Bangladesh. 156,000 from Iraq. Almost 100,000 from Somalia. 191,000 from Iran. And by the way, Iran is a beneficiary, one of the biggest beneficiaries of the diversity visa program. So... We bring them in in all 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 numbers. And by the way, that this this is just permanent residence. This doesn't include all the other categories, most prominently student visas, where we bring in roughly, by my count, one hundred and fifty five to one hundred seventy thousand from these same countries every year. So you're adding to your country hundreds of thousands of people every year. There's now over three million Muslims in this country. You know. Everyone's like, even if a tiny percentage are terrorists, we have a problem. But it's worse than that because what is terrorism? Terrorism is a tactic. But the the main problem is the climate. Do you want to import that on your shores? Do you want to bring that into your country? And do you want to allow it to fester in your country? And we're going to get to that. Especially if you're not a citizen yet. Even if we brought you here, if you're preaching insurrection, I mean, under current law, you're really, I mean, you're really supposed to be deported and, and you know, certainly we could definitely tighten our statutes. We could tighten all our statutes to ensure that we don't keep letting these people in and, and, and obviously to the extent we let them in, we deport them. That could absolutely be done. I mean, this is section 212A3D of the Immigration Na- um, Nationality Act. Bought, you know, it says any immigrant who is or has been a member or affiliated with the communist or totalitarian party is inadmissible. You know, so, I mean, we need to spell that out very clearly and apply that to Sharia totalitarianism. You have no right to be here. You have no right to, to preach that on our soil. You know, again, I, I could go on, you know, God forbid, you know, go on social media and say, I hate America. And, you know, it's freedom of speech. But if you're an immigrant and you do that, so to be very clear, you have freedom of speech in the sense that, you know, just like you can't throw me in jail, you can't throw an immigrant in jail, but you could deport the guy, like we've said many times, where obviously you can't deport a citizen. Um, you could deport an LPR. You could deport them pursuant to the conditions laid out in statute, but that's not constitutionally limited. Congress could write anything they want, and they, and they should. So, I mean, this is the point. You A, you stop the flow, and then B, you start dealing with it. And, you know, 
You know what's interesting? The, the first thing that came into my mind after 9-11 is that it was an immigration problem. But even 9-11, it wasn't nearly as bad as what we've done to ourselves the last 15 years and what we're seeing right now with the threat from terrorism. You know, 9-11 was a command and control style attack where 19 people were, you know, funded, controlled by a specific terror group with a specific plot, and they were brought here at a specific time to immediately plan an attack. Now, so, so there at least... If you had good intel, you theoretically could have thwarted it. There's a foreign angle. There's a, you know, and again, I would argue the answer is not to get involved in Islamic civil wars and just endless nonsense of nation building. But, you know, you go after the funding where the funding sources are in Iran, Turkey, Qatar. That's really what we should have done the most. You know, more than just try to own Afghanistan, own these basket cases, which just don't speak to the issue. But even then, it was ultimately an immigration problem. If you don't let the people in the country, they can't hurt you. Al-Qaeda is going to hurt you. Al-Qaeda, to this day, doesn't have a Navy or an Air Force. How do they get here? We have to let them in our country. So, but nonetheless, you could say, well, you know, it's, if all we're worried about is terrorism, professional, organized, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Hezbollah, terrorism, good intel could thwart most of this, even with an open border. But the problem we have now is it's moved a step beyond that. You know, there's a there's a big debate on the right every time something happens, the right on the left with um, lone wolves. The left says this is a lone wolf. And the right yells, no, it's not lone wolf. What do you mean? They have the, this is part of uh, terrorism and they're related to al-Qaeda, whatever. And both of them are getting it wrong because both of them are building this on the premise that to say, to suggest this is a lone wolf is underselling downplaying the severity of the problem and you know our side wants to shock people into recognizing the severity and saying no this is not lone wolf this is much worse i actually disagree with everyone the lone wolf now not in the way the left means it but in a way that oh it's not connected directly to terror group that's even worse of a problem as andy mccarthy was saying because you can't defend against that there's no intel and, and that that is the European paradigm now. This is where Europe is, and this is where rather than you know pressing on the on the gas pedal after 9/11, we stepped on the I'm sorry, rather than stepping on the brake, we stepped on the gas pedal after 9/11 and and we've literally brought ourselves a half a generation away from Europe. Europe now is so ubiquitous. There's so many of them. They're everywhere. You know, Maybe still the big, large-scale, intricate plots are, you know, would require some sort of coordination that you could catch with good intel. But you could have any random person will just follow the dictates, the modern dictates of implementing ancient Sharia and jihad, and just go with a, a van, a, a truck, and mow down people on a street. It doesn't take much planning to do that. It really doesn't. It's not a 9-11-style attack. And this could happen anywhere. Where does it happen? It doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens from Muslims you let into your country. And those people don't exist in a vacuum. Who are their neighbors? Who are their family members? Who are their mosque leaders? You would hope that the FBI is all over this. And that's why I always say the front lines in the war on terror is not Niger, Mogadishu, Raqqa, Iraq, and Afghanistan. And the operative tool in that war is not the military. 
I'm not saying that as a pacifist. It's just the reality. It doesn't speak to the issue. The front line is in our communities. An operative tool is the FBI. It's a homeland problem. That's the issue now. But you, you can't deal with the homeland problem until you stop the flow. You can't have a constant new flow reinforcing the existing ones and you get reverse assimilation. And, and you know, we've critiqued this. This is true of every segment of immigration, that we have too much immigration. You have this obviously from Latin America where you, ha- you don't have assimilation to the English language and thing into the culture just because, you know, why should they? Now, again, there the consequences are pretty bad. It's socioeconomic. It's, it's a problem. It's cultural. But here the consequences are lethal. They're the destruction of our entire country. You know, I'm I'm struck by if you remember in December 2015, Nidal Al Al who is an imam in Beaumont, um, Texas. It's one of the few honest imams I've seen, and the guy was saying he supported you know when Trump was first talking about a moratorium on immigration from the Middle East, he supported it, and he and and he was he was one of the few people, and and and. You know, the few um, patriotic Muslims that you have in this country or the ones that are willing to speak out, they they recognize more than anyone. They, they would tell you this. He said, I certainly see it to be wise what Trump is doing. I believe the situation nationally is getting mixed up and certainly agree with Mr. Trump on closing the door until further understanding is achieved. This should not prevent the United States to fulfill its duties towards international partners, whatever. Um, let me just read more here. But the way it happens when you see this mass shooting, he was referring to San Bernardino, and you see some people coming with such a very peaceful background, and all of a sudden the intelligence themselves, the agencies are not able to figure out what's happening. Why all of a sudden this guy or this girl or that lady open fire and kill 15 people? Because American Muslims are not doing their job in the country. So we need to stop. We need to stop taking new ones until we fix the ex- existing situation. I don't have the full quote in front of me, but I remember, if I if I recall correctly, that this imam also referenced the fact that they have a major problem among their youth. And why would you reinforce it with a new flow? Meaning, if your goal is to have patriotically assimilated Muslims, the worst thing you can do, particularly coming off of two decades of record high Muslim immigration. I mean, it's so absurd that I've, I've mentioned this before. I'll link to in show notes the pieces I've done before this the last couple of weeks on um, immigration trends. The top sending countries, the, 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 the fastest growing ones are Muslim countries now. The fastest growing language in America is Arabic. This is insane. So you, you, you need a cool down. And of course, Congress got to get involved. You got to get the courts out of this. This has got to stop. But certainly it's got to stop with the, um, you know, you just the diversity visa lottery. I mean, any other generation, for, certainly the diversity visa lottery, but even broadly just immigration from the Middle East, they would have passed a bill through unanimous consent. And it would have been passed in hours of something like this. And that's the story. They come here when they're 14, 15, 20, even two or three, even born here. It's nothing you can vet. No one's going to have a sticker saying ISIS or Al-Qaeda. I mean, there are some times where I guess, you know, we had bad vetting. You could, But that's only a small percentage of it. That's one, that's one part of the equation. Most of them, you're not going to see it. But what you will see is a fervent adherence to Sharia. 
Now, not everyone who fervently adheres to Sharia is going to become is going to implement jihad. But do you want that on our shores? This is what makes no sense. There's 7.2 billion people in the world. We've already had record immigration across the board, even without Muslim immigration. Supply and demand. Everyone wants to come here. Shouldn't we only bring in people who love America? I mean, is, is that too hard to understand? You know, what, what I think of just going through this whole issue are the words of Theodore Sedgwick. He's a congressman from Massachusetts. He was also later a senator. Um, he was a delegate at the Constitutional Convention, very prominent. The first congressional debate over immigration was in the 1790 Naturalization Act. And he said very clear that we only wanted people of reputable and worthy character who, quote, were fit for the society into which they were blended. This is not ISIS. Oh, I don't want to bring in anyone who is ISIS. What? I mean, not, you're missing the point. That, that, that's a symptom of it. That's an ephemeral symptom, a fleeting symptom. This group, that group, they come and go. The point is, did they share our Republican values? And I would argue that a lot of other places we're bringing immigrants from, even non-Muslim third world countries, you know, they're really not steeped in our values. And that's in itself is a problem. But at least it's not, it doesn't have such existential, um, you know, ramifications. But this is insane. You know what? It's amazing reading. I'm just going to read you a passage from uh, Sedgwick during this House debate. The citizens of America prefer this country because it is to be preferred. The like principle he wished might be held by every man who came from Europe to reside here. But there was at least some grounds to fear the contrary. Their sensations impregnated with prejudices of education acquired under um, monarchical and aristocratical governments may deprive them of that zest for pure republicanism which is necessary in order to taste its beneficence with that gratitude which we feel on the occasion. Wow, that's a mouthful. They, they were quite eloquent in those days. Um, but notice how he said, we want America because we like America. We hate the Middle East, so we don't want to import the Middle East. Now, you could bring in a few here and there, but beyond a certain point, you're bringing in the Middle East. You're not bringing in a you know, couple people to assimilate and become Americans. You're bringing in the Middle East. But you see that even then, they were concerned even about Europeans who are of like-minded ancestry or you know, similar ancestry. You know, that, hey, you know, they're used to aristocratic nature, these you know, monarchs back then, they don't understand the Republican values. You know, we got to be careful. How much more so does that apply nowadays from these nutty places where i mean their their governments their entire being are founded on different values but it's a step worse than that it gets even worse than that much worse than that we've reached the point where so the Every aspect of our immigration policy system is essentially refugees. What do, what do I mean by that? So to a certain extent, even back when immigration worked better, you know, immigration always was you're bringing in people that are either persecuted, downtrodden, not so happy with their situation. Because obviously, look, if they're in a wealthy country and they're living well, you know, why are you going to want to move? By definition, your things aren't going so well. So certainly even a lot of our ancestors and, you know, all of us and, 
Um, it's always been that way to a certain extent. You're seeking a better life. But the difference is that we brought in people that shared our, our values. They wanted a better life. They were fleeing the values of the country they came from. The problem we're having now is that you have the Middle East that's just in turmoil. So it, there's just civil war problems. It's because they're always fighting, so there's no good economy. So they want to come here. They want to come here because they don't want to die, or they want to come here because they want um, Obamacare. But they don't want to come here because of our values, and, and, and quite the opposite. They, they still bring their values with us. That was the difference there. You know, when my ancestors came, you know, some, some one side came from Austria. Um, my wife's side came from uh, Germany. Another side came from, uh, you know, Eastern Europe, uh, parts of Russia. And, you know, obviously in, in the 1880s, when the Jews came from Russia, they were fleeing the czar. So certainly they were fleeing those values. That was the problem. They were being persecuted. Here, they're all doing the persecution. They're fighting with each other, but they all, you know, I, I say this all the time in Iraq. You have half Sunni, half Shiites. They're fighting with each other. Their values are just as problematic each side, but we're bringing in both because they, you know, persecuting each other. That, that, that's the problem. But it, I'm, I'm going to take this even a step further. So this guy came from Uzbekistan. A lot of people aren't paying attention. You know, you think, okay, there's Pakistan, there's Saudi Arabia, there's Iran, there's Iraq, Syria, Somalia, problem, very problematic countries. But Uzbekistan is a hotbed for that. I mean, these people are animals, some of them. I mean, there's Arnaev brothers, obviously. Um, you know, they weren't they were from Chechnya, but that kind of area, the Caucasus, Central Asia, the the stands, um, you know, it, it's it's become very Muslim. But listen to the irony here, what's going on. And I wanna maybe address this in a future post. There's something specific to be said about Uzbekistan, which shows how insane our immigration policy is. Part of what's happening in the Middle East now is that the implementation of the age-old Sharia jihad has become so insane and disruptive that even a lot of the you know, Muslim and even somewhat Islamic governments in the Middle East are now like, holy heck, we got major problems here. Um, I always said before, I used the analogy of a snake oil salesman that, you know, in, back back when the jihad really started in the modern era, they were attacking Israel and America. They're attacking the West. So, you know, it's like a snake handler. I'll shove the snakes on your lawn. So a lot of the um, Muslim governments in the Middle East fostered it and they funded it and, you know, because it benefited them. It empowered them and it hurt the West. But what happened over time is the snakes started biting them. They're like, hey, we, we got a problem here. Um, this is certainly most embodied in what you're seeing in Saudi Arabia. And you know how much I hate Saudi Arabia. And I'm, I'm, I still don't think we should embrace them with two with both hands and allow them to fund stuff on our shores or um, you know major weapon sales. But it is true what's happening with the crown prince, the young millennial guy. It is sincere. He really is. He really recognized like, you know, and you saw that with the ban on, you know, lifting the ban on women, women driving. Um, he's making a lot of changes. Like we got, we got a major problem here. So, and you're seeing this across 
you know, certainly obviously Sisi in Egypt, but you're seeing this across a lot of the governments are, are saying, oh my gosh, I mean, yeah, well, we, we, we got a problem here. So we've reached a point where ironically, countries in the Middle East, you know, we talk about bringing in the Middle East values, but the Middle East is clamping down on jihad more than we are. But here, here's the final point I'm getting to. What's starting to happen is we're getting refugees. Or when I say refugees, I mean, de facto, they might not use the refugee program. They might use chain migration. They might use diversity visa lottery. But they're they're coming here because they're being clamped down upon precisely for why, why, why we don't want them. So it's not, you know, Muslims trying to, you know, either Christians trying to operate in Muslim countries and they have to flee. Or let's say Muslims that are trying to flee Sharia and they want to come here and be like people like Dr. Zudi Jasser and a Muslim reformist. No, we're getting the people that are fleeing to the West so they can live Sharia, that they can't live in the Middle East. That's how crazy it is. So I want to read to you a passage, very brilliant um, piece we're going to link to in show notes here. Um, Dan Cadman of Center for Immigration Studies, titled What We Don't Know About Zaifulo's Zayopov, whatever. Jeez, I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, I want to read to you one of his many very, very uh, studious points here. Um, with regard to Zaypuff, I watched a BBC news anchor, new, new in, news anchor interview one of their BBC Uzbek service reporters. She made the cogent point, right? This is someone who's a reporter in Uzbekistan, so she has to be familiar with it, that while he appears to have radicalized in the United States, which is what we talked about, he may in fact have left Uzbekistan due to the government's program of actively monitoring mosques, preachers, and congregations because it is sharply aware that there is a strain of virulent radical Islam that inevitably results in violence. Ironically, some Uzbeks successfully claim refugee status based on the government's repressive policies, even though there is clearly a basis for its security concerns. She made the point that Zaypov if inclined towards such radical leanings, would have had to emigrate to avoid arrest and therefore chose a country where freedom of religion is guaranteed. It's appalling to think that one of the freedoms enshrined in our constitution would be used against us in that way. But her observations have a cogency to them that's hard to deny. See, that's the thing. In a lot of these governments, and I think this is true of Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan a lot of these places... Um, you know, a lot of people have pointed out when I listed them among the countries, some people said, Daniel, why are you attacking them? Their governments are pretty decent. They're Muslim, but they're cooperating. And my point is, I said, look, I'm not attacking the governments. My point is, you know, but, you know, it's not a matter of dealing with the government. You're taking people from within their lands that are radical nutcases. And this is my point. So the Uzbeki or Uzbek, I think actually is the proper grammar. Uz, you know, you don't, I just saw that on uh our uh, stylist here, our copy editor, says Uzbek, no matter how you use it, an adjective or a noun. Uh, but anyway, the Uzbek government, they're actually well aware of the problem, and they're, they're doing what we don't want to do here. And guess what? Guess who's going to leave? It's not going to be the moderates that are going to leave. It's going to be the nutcases. So we're going to become the refuge. Give us your poor, tired, hungry throat cutters 
to cut down our country that even Muslim countries in the Middle East don't want. We're, so this is not just we're importing the values of the Middle East. We're importing the values of the Middle East that some Middle Eastern countries don't want. This is nuts. Pure nutso. So let's move on to remedies. You know, what, what we need to be doing. And I want to start off by just addressing one point that I'm seeing a lot of people, even some of the people, friends on the right, but certainly on the left. Well, Daniel, we all said that we shouldn't politicize Vegas and you're politicizing this tragedy. You know, I actually mentioned this at the time before this even happened. I mentioned after Vegas, I said, they're missing one major point. In a country of 325 million domestic violence, you have problems, unfortunately, and there's a limit to what you can do. Most things don't have a public policy angle to it unless you politicize it gratuitously. No gun control thing they wanted to do could prevent that. That was the point. Nothing that they, they are proposing. This guy passed background checks. There's nothing there. Here, immigration is elective. Gun rights is a right. This is not a right. And immigration directly, and, and that's the thing. In this case, the guy wouldn't have been let in if not for the diversity visa lottery program. You only have it if you have Muslim immigration. This is the problem. You might not like the answer. But that, that's the issue. There is no right to it. Now, I guess you could say there are solutions domestically, but nothing that could follow the Constitution and wouldn't make us like North Korea. But part of how we keep our freedoms and we're open and we don't clamp down and live in a police state is because you don't bring hyenas into your country electively. That's the point. It's directly related when we're spending trillions of dollars. And, you know, when this thing broke, I was in the middle of working and I don't have it out yet, but I was working on a very long article explaining the case for tightening up congressional control over these endless aimless wars that aren't even wars, but they're social work operations in the Middle East. This is national security. This is all because of a, a existential international threat from an entire civilization. It's not, it's not like, oh, it's a tragedy happened in American shores. It's all coming from there, and it's all preventable. That's the point. There's so much we're doing and wasting because of this problem. We have to get it right. But but therein lies the problem. The Democrats could shamelessly go after an unalienable right when it does nothing and it actually hurts people because they can't defend against um, those that will get the guns anyway. And yet when you have assault jihadists that we electively let in the country, no, you can't talk about that. You know, thankfully, Trump is doing a good job messaging. Hopefully, he follows through with it. But, you know, the Republicans in Congress are going to run away from this. And just to demonstrate how far to the left they've moved, so the Senate was always bad, but the Republican House has voted a number of times to repeal this. I, I noted in my piece on the diversity visa lottery, and Jeff Flake, who's sanctimoniously, uh, you know, attacking Trump on the, on the diversity visa lottery, he voted to repeal it. He voted to repeal it, uh, standalone couple times, actually. So this, this is pure nonsense. So anyway, this is everything we should be focused on. 
You know, it's been November and none of the 20 national security ideas I put out are being implemented. And, and, and you know, here's the deal. So I'm going I'm to link to an article, not of 20, but the last time we had one of these, uh, you know, crazy attacks, I listed about seven or eight items. I think this was actually more in response to what was going on in Europe. I'm forgetting which attack it was, but I put out um, a piece. And yeah, I mean, we need an immigration pause. We need certainly diversity visa lottery, but as much as we can pause, we need we need the Raise Act. We need the Raise Act big time, big time. Um, so that is straight up. That needs to be a big push. Obviously, we need to kick the courts out of immigration. That's a no-brainer. At least the lower courts kick them out of immigration. We need to build the wall. That That's very clear. Again, obviously, most of it we're letting in through our front door, but you still want to secure your back door um, because we do have Middle Easterners coming and, and you know claiming asylum. We should stop funding foreign terrorism. I mean, this is what we talk about. Rather than getting involved in um, civil wars, just stop funding it. Stop funding Hezbollah. Stop funding the PLO. Use soft power to go after Saudi Arabia, Turkey. Designate the Muslim Brotherhood as a terror group. And once they're designated, any LPR in America that has ties to Muslim Brotherhood organizations, deport them. You know, this is, you know, expand Section 212A3D, which talks about those that are associated with totalitarian parties. Um, You know, expand that to those associated with jihadist groups. You know, go after those imams. Deport them. Again, if they're citizens, unless, you know, they're convicted of treason, there's nothing much you can do with, you know, them talking trash, but a lot of them aren't yet citizens. Some of them are, some of them aren't. And then finally, go on offense with guns. Shove it down their throat. Now is the exact time to have national right to carry. Why have they not voted on this? Why is the NRA not pushed? This is the perfect time. Everyone feels unsafe. You know, you ratchet up gun rights and you ratchet down suicidal immigration, not vice versa, which is what the political class wants to do. This is what we should be focusing on, not stupid tax reform. Believe me, not abandoning fiscal issues. Uh, you know, obviously for that, really, we need to be focusing on, on health care, which is the much bigger fish to fry. But, but that's the point. The two biggest problems that I see are the security immigration threats and the $2,100 a month premiums. Right, Those are the biggest threats to we the people, the forgotten man. But that's the point. We're the forgotten man. We don't have corporate lobbyists creating an emergency. You know, Before this was set to happen, hopefully Trump is changing his schedule, but before this attack, Trump actually met, was scheduling a meeting on Thursday with senators to discuss a DACA fix. Excuse me. What about an America fix? Fixing immigration for us first. That's what needs to be done. So this is a quick overview. We're going to have a lot more on this issue. We're going to have a lot more on healthcare, by the way, like I said, whenever the tax plan comes out, we'll be all over it. But we are going to be focusing relentlessly and and finding many different ways to try to get legislation in front of these members, try to demand they do it. Um, and as always, we got to go after the courts. Otherwise, this entire thing will be voided out. So uh, I'm working on proposing legislation to end nationwide injunctions from a district judge to strip them of jurisdiction, yada, yada, all this stuff. Um, anyway, 
Thanks so much for listening. God bless y'all. Stay safe. If you live in a free state, make sure you're carrying. Until next time, this has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. 